This is what we do at this time, get in God's word, Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Um, We're at an important part in this series, and you might even notice the important transition part we're in in this series by looking at this slide here. We now, I've said all along, this series is broken into two parts. The first part is was called Rest in Christ. We're just looking at the doctrinal truths and reality of what it means that we're in Christ, uh, and, and we're resting in that. We're enjoying that. Now, as we turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we hit an important transition in the letter where the second half of the series is called Walk in Christ. Now, practically, what does it mean to live this out? Uh, I think it was about 2004, uh, Chuck Colson and Nancy Piercy came out with a book called How Now Shall We Live? Uh, That question, that statement is a great one that helps us think about this transition that Paul is doing in the midst of this letter. He's basically saying, in light of all of that rich doctrine we've just unpacked, the question now is, how now shall we live in light of that? And that's the focus for the rest of this book, is very practically, what does the life of a Jesus follower, what should it look like? Um, Uh, The first couple verses of Ephesians 4, I I, I want you to know, they're not just uh, a topic sentence really for the part we're studying today. The beginning of Ephesians 4 is really a bit of a topic statement for the rest of the book. And so look at what it says in verse 1, Ephesians 4 verse 1. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to what? to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is really a topic sentence, a topic statement that guides us for the rest of this book. What does it look like for us to walk? There's a reason we talk about discipleship around here as worship, walk, work, and witness. Walk is this biblical picture we see the Apostle Paul especially use throughout his letters of what it means to live out our relationship with the Lord. How do we now walk this out, live this out in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called? The first half of the book has been unpacking for us what is that calling to which we have been called? What has Christ done for us? Who are we in Christ? Now, how do we live in a way, in a manner worthy of that? Uh, Verses two and three help us understand a bit how we're to walk out this call in every specific area. We're to walk it out in this way with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, doesn't that sound good? Right? We, we, we live in, within the midst of this brokenness. I got brokenness in my own heart. Uh, we long to be a part of a community of people where we're walking in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, and so I, I, I wanted to read those couple of verses at the outset because the second half of Ephesians, we're going to get into some very, very practical things. Things like the body life of the church. How's this supposed to function? How's this supposed to work? What, is it, what should it look like for us as a faith family and how we operate? We're going we're gonna to get there today. Uh, we're going to get into things like how do we grow? How do we change? 
How do we mature? All in favor of that sermon, say aye, right? Uh, we're going to get into things like marriage, okay? In light of what it means for us to be in Christ, how should that affect the way that we live out our marriage reality? We're going to get into things like parenting and relationships between children and their parents. Uh, we're going to get into things like working. How should this affect the way that we view vocation? Uh, we're going to get into things like how do we arm up to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. We all need these things, right? And so all of the doctrine we've studied in the first half of the book paves the way for the practice that we will look at in the second half, what it means for us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Today and next week are really a part one and a part two message. You really have to work hard to view what we're going to talk about today as part of the same message that we're going to pick up next Sunday. It's part one, it's part two. If I tried to do it all today, we'd be here until Tuesday, okay? And so um, we want to look at how does this play out within the body life of the church. As you look back at verses two and three, it says to Walk in a manner with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're going to talk today about that unity. How is that unity lived out within the confines of the body? And next week, we're going to talk about the fact that this unity that we have as a body of Christ plays out with a diversity of giftedness. And so this is a unity in the midst of being diversely gifted. And this is where the rest of this section of Ephesians goes, this unity and this diversity of gifting. And so uh, this week and next week, part one, part two, unity is the focus today. The diversity of the giftedness of the body is the focus next week, but they walk hand in hand. And really this statement is the big statement over today and next week. And it's this, we're bound by unity in the Lord, yet gifted diversely from the Lord to build up the body of the Lord. We are bound by unity in the Lord, yet gifted diversely from the Lord to build up. It has a purpose to it, to build up the body of the Lord. And so uh, if I can, let me read this whole section to us, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to zero in on verses 1 through 6 today. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who de descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, we long for that as the expression of our local body right here. Lord, we long for that to be the expression of how we operate with your grander body across the community and across our state, across our country, and across the globe. Oh God, we want to dive deeply today into the unity in which you unify us, and we want that to pave the way for next week as we uh, explore and celebrate the diversity of gifts you've given for the building up of that unity. And so God, will you help us today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so today's focus is simply this, we're bound by unity in the Lord. We are bound by a unity in the Lord. And now I know this has been a big theme throughout Ephesians. We spent much of chapter two talking about the unity that Christ has given, that there's not Jew, there's not Gentile, there's just one in the Lord. And, and this theme of unity has been a big one for Paul. And uh, he comes back to it here in a beautiful, beautiful way. And it's so important for us to understand the roots of our unity as a body of Christ. Uh, there's an old hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds, and it says this at the beginning, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like that to that above. That's a good one, isn't it? And, and, and this passage really gets at what are the strands of that tie that binds us. Uh, he goes and uh, Paul goes into a rapid fire of seven ones, and it is a rapid fire. And, and, and our, 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 our outline today has to follow the rapid fire of those seven ones, and it's going to feel a bit like a rapid fire. But these seven ones are the ties that bind us together. And this is why this is really important. Come on, this is why this is so important. Everyone listening? Here's why it's so important. One of the temptations, and I'm not saying this always happens, but I've been in enough conversations through the years where this has happened enough that I got to address it. One of them temptations, as we're working or talking about Christian unity, is that the temptation can be people strip away the things that should be believed with the goal of gaining unity out of it. You can't strip away the majors that we have to believe in order to have the unity. Does that make sense? I, 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 don't, I don't care if this comes off polished or not. I really, that has to make sense. So someone's like, no, that doesn't make sense. 
We have to get to a place where we can agree on what is to unify us, not strip away the majors that, have, that, that we need in order to be unified. And what Paul does here with these seven ones is he's saying, these are the things that bring unity among us. We have to agree on these things and embrace these things in order to experience this unity. And so verse, um, verse four begins this rapid fire of ones. We're bound by unity in the Lord. The first thing he mentions is this, there's one body. There's one body. There's one body. We are the body of Christ. Those of us in the room who have believed in Jesus Christ are part of this body. As we gather here today, and I've said this a number of times throughout this series, as we're gathering here today, there's other believers that are gathering in different expressions of the local church, and all of us together make up this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. And we have to be in agreement of what the body of Christ is, this, this, this fellowship of the believers, this congregation of the believers. And Paul says there is one body. There's not multiple expressions of the body of Christ. There is one body of Christ, those called out by faith who have believed in Jesus Christ. There is one body. Each of these ones, I just want to tag a question to today by means of stirring our, our, our application and stirring what should this mean for us. And the question attached to this one is this. Are you actively engaged in the life of the body? Are you actively engaged in the life of the body? I mean, we're going to get to this more next week that all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ have been gifted by God for the building up of the body, and we need every member in that to be using those gifts. Are you actively engaged in the life of the body? Now, one of the things, right, that our culture, as we think about church and body life, one of the things that our culture has done is made it maybe too easy to just show up to church on Sunday and never actually engage in the body life of the church. And that's something that as pastors and elders, we gotta be wrestling with all the time, but it's something as a congregation we should be wrestling with as well. That God has more for us than simply like in two weeks showing up to that facility and spending 75 minutes there. You have gifts to be used to build up the body. More on it next week. But I want you us to wrestle with that question in anticipation of this. Are you actively engaged in the life of the body? Because there's one body. And all of us are to unite together for, to the building up of the body of Christ. So verse 4 says there's one body. And then what's the next one that it lists there? There's one body and one. There's one spirit. So we're bound by unity in the Lord by, as one body in Christ, and we're bound by the fact that there's one Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which indwells us upon faith, is given to us to correct us and to counsel us. Uh, the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is what keeps us unified. It's what allows us as believers, when things arise that should normally divide human beings, it's the Holy Spirit that can keep us united in the midst of that in such a way that the rest of the world should look in on how believers disagree and work through conflict and go, how did they do that and how are they still friends? 
How do they still love each other? That's different. That's weird. The Spirit of God at work in us, a spirit of order and a spirit of unity, working so powerfully to keep us in step with the Lord and in step with each other. There is one Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, For in one spirit, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is the one we lean on, God, uh, the one we lean on to guide us, to counsel us, to correct us, to convict us, and to keep us walking in unity, in communion with the Lord, and in unity with one another. So the question that I have attached to this one is this. Where do you need to trust the Spirit, to lead a unifying work with a member of the body? Where do you need to trust the Spirit to lead a unifying work with a member of the body? That could be a a fellow believer who's part of our congregation. That could be a fellow believer who's part of another congregation. But maybe there's disunity. Maybe there's tension. And and all of us, I'm guilty of it too, All of us have thought about tense or hard conversations that we have on the horizon. We're like, this is going to go so bad. This is going to be so hard. And then all of us have sat at the coffee table or across the desk, and we have watched the work of the Holy Spirit to allow us to work through some hard things and keep our hearts tender and loving towards each other in the midst of that. That is the work of the one Spirit indwelling each of us who know Jesus Christ. We're bound by unity in the Lord as one body with one spirit. I told you this was rapid fire. We got to stay with it. There's one body and one spirit. And then Paul says this, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And so we're bound by unity in the Lord. There's one body, there's one spirit, and there's one hope. Ephesians chapter 1 went into great detail of the hope that we have in Christ. And so when, when believers, Christians, Jesus followers, you with me? When we talk about the hope, it's not just this nebulous thing. I mean, I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping. No, Ephesians chapter 1 went into what this hope is. Ephesians 1.18 says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Right before that, Paul had unpacked these beautiful truths that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth. He had unpacked this beautiful reality that we'd been adopted by Christ as sons. He had unpacked for us that we'd been redeemed by his blood. He'd, been, he'd unpacked for us that the Holy Spirit had sealed us as a guarantee until we receive this inheritance that God has laid up for us. And then his prayer, as we came and read verse 18, was this, now I pray that you will know these things. 
And my prayer for us is that we would know these things and that we would actually live with that hope fueling us in a way that changes the way we go to the grocery store and changes the way we parent, changes the way we walk in marriage, changes the way we live with roommates, changes everything that this hope would be fueling us, that we know it's an assured hope, that we know the tangible nature of this hope, and that it drastically affects the way we walk the days here until we're with Jesus in his presence. And so the question I have attached to this is this, how is this hope actively producing a joyful unity with the body? How is the hope that we have in Christ actively producing a joyful unity with the body? How are we walking around living with each other, celebrating with each other the assured hope that we have in Christ? How is that helping us help each other navigate the hard seasons? How is that hope helping us navigate tension and conflict? How is this hope actively producing a joyful unity with the body of Christ? So we're bound by unity, one body, one spirit, one hope, and then look where he goes next. There's one body, one spirit, just you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Verse five, first two words are what? One Lord. We can't enjoy unity together if we don't agree on the lordship of Jesus Christ. We can't enjoy unity together if we don't agree on the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every single human being walking this earth has a Lord. There is a master of everyone's life. There is someone calling the shots. It might be themselves, it might be someone else or something else, but everyone has a Lord. Everyone has a functional lordship theology. Someone or something is Lord. What unifies us is the same Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. He must be Lord. We must live like he is Lord. When he says jump, we say how high. When he says go, we say we're gone. He has to truly be the Lord. No no more of this functionally living like Jesus is our insurance policy out of hell, but we have no interest in him actually being the Lord of our life. Is he Lord? Is he Lord? Is he Lord? No, no, like think of, am I living like Jesus is Lord? Is Jesus the Lord, the master and commander? A youth pastor at the church I grew up in, he would always say uh, that movie Master and Commander had come out and he'd be like, Jesus must be your master and commander. And I'd sit there and be like, let's go. (laughs) You don't have to respond like me to it. But there does, like that helped me so much in the early days of my faith to see that Jesus was the master and commander. Now, you know what's so comforting and awesome about it? This Lord, this master and commander, let me dial it down a few notches, is the one 
who invites us to himself with words like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You'll find rest for your souls. Like this, this same Lord who walks up to some fishermen and says, hey, drop your nets and follow me. Let's go. A radical call of costly obedience is the same Lord who as we radically follow in costly obedience, we experience the rest for our souls that our souls have been hungering for. He's Lord, but he's a good Lord. He's master, but he's a good master. He's commander, but he's a good commander. Is he Lord? Is Jesus Lord? And if the Holy Spirit's at work in your heart right now to go, I don't know, or no, he's not, stay with me. Look where Paul goes next. We're bound by unity in the Lord, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, and then look at what he says next, verse five. One Lord, one faith. One faith. What unites us with Jesus as Lord, it is our faith in him as Lord. Ephesians 2 has already unpacked this for us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through what? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The way Jesus sets himself up as Lord over our life is by faith. He lavishes his grace on us, a gift we don't deserve. In going to the cross and paying the penalty for our sin and dying and rising victoriously over that death and ascending to the right hand of the Father and inviting us to himself by faith. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? And if you haven't, why not? What are you waiting for? The urgency of this is off the charts. Not one of us in this room are guaranteed tomorrow. Not one of us in this room are guaranteed making it past 30, the intersection of 31 and Worsfield Road. And, that's, and it's not preacher scare tactic stuff. It's just reality. It's just reality. And the only way to an eternity with a holy God is through Jesus as the Lord of our life. And he's invited us to that lordship by faith. That today in this seat, you can seal that in your heart by saying, Lord Jesus, I see my sin. I see that I'm broken. I see that it separated me from you. Jesus, I believe in you today. Save me, be Lord. Today. Today. If you sense the urgency in my heart, in my mouth, it's because it's there. One faith, one Lord, one faith. This is how we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith and he becomes Lord. And Paul is saying, this is what unites us. That we have this common faith in this common Lord and we're united in that reality. We're bound by unity in the Lord as one body, one spirit at work in our heart, one hope, one Lord whose name is Jesus, one faith in this Lord who is Jesus. And then he says this, one baptism. How awesome are baptisms to celebrate here? 
like what makes them awesome and the reason why we celebrate them the way that we do is yes, because of the individual statement they are making of their faith in Jesus Christ, but the reason we celebrate that in community is because of the community of the saints in which they belong to. We're celebrating the fact that a new brother or sister in the faith has declared their belief in Jesus Christ and now is publicly communicating that. That's a worthy celebration. And that's why we want to celebrate that accordingly within the midst of the community of what this baptism is communicating. So let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate together again what God did last week. Watch this baptism recap video with me. We celebrate as a body in a right proportion to what we've just witnessed. In about an hour, up the road from us, a stadium is gonna fill. And what's going to happen is grown men wearing blue shirts will carry a brown ball across a white line. And, and people will go nuts. Now, I love football as much as any of you, but there's no way the exuberance over that should outdo the saints of Jesus Christ celebrating someone who just publicly said, I'm following Jesus. I had a negative outlook on life of everything and I just was unhappy. I was always looking to worldly things instead of looking to God and I wasn't happy. I was depressed. I feel like I found my purpose of helping others and I'm able to help myself and look to somebody who can give me constant reassurance and just be there no matter what. I was baptized when I was seven and uh, I didn't really fully understand what it truly meant to follow Christ and what it means to live your life for Him daily. I felt the conviction that I needed to fully just give my life over to Him and proclaim that I'm a child of God and I want to live my life for Him a few weeks ago. My heart's at peace and I'm truly happy, like patternly, not perfectly. I know that I'm still not perfect, but I've said yes to that relationship with Jesus. I've always known Jesus. I grew up in a church, uh, but it was a lukewarm Christianity. 2015, I met my wife, and uh, she really, you know, helped me deepen my faith in Him. Knowing that the body that we're in here right now is is temporary, yeah. and that everlasting gift that He's given us is uh, it's this is all temporary. What the world has given us, it, we're all just here to give glory to Him. That's right. I had no idea that I was as broken as I was, and I had no idea that there was any way that I needed saving. He met me where I was, and I realized that there was no other way that I could go through life except for with the Savior. It's been nothing but joy. Even in, even in my lows, it's been great joy, and I mean, even standing here worshiping, I was like, I don't deserve this, but it just brings so much more glory to Him. And why do you want to be baptized in front of all of us today? To show everyone that I believe in Jesus Christ and that I follow Him.
one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That final of the seven ones, one God and Father. One God and Father. We are united by the commonality of one God who is our Father. Um, So how does an understanding of God as Father produce unity with the body? That this is, our God is our one Father. How does he work to produce unity within our body? The rest of this section is going to pick up. Verse 7, you see the transition. But grace was given to each one of us. And Paul's going to begin to tease out the diversity within the body of the giftedness that we have to build up this body. But we have to understand what unifies us in a deep, deep way as we turn next week to part two and look at the diversity of the giftings within this. We're bound by unity in the Lord, yet gifted diversely from the Lord to build up the body of the Lord. We are a deeply unified people. Um, Grab the communion elements if you would. There's a fitting way for us to end today by getting our eyes on this one Lord who took up one cross, was laid in one tomb, rose to one resurrection, ascended to one right hand of the Father. On a regular basis, Scripture commands us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. At the Last Supper, he grabbed bread and he broke it. And in doing so, he was telling him, my body's about to be broken for you. He grabbed a cup and he said, my blood's about to be poured out for you. And every time that you do this, remember me and remember my sacrifice and what I've done here. And so as we turn our eyes to the crucifixion of our Savior, whose death was what deserved to be our death, The Bible tells us to not just partake of this time in in an unworthy way, to slow our hearts, to search our hearts, to examine ourselves. And so in these moments here, we just take some time and focus your eyes on this one Lord as we take these elements together in a moment. Take some quiet moments right here to search your heart.